This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 18, Episode 41. This is Writing Excuses, Deep Dive, Aaron's Short Fiction Extravaganza! 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dong Wan. I'm Aaron. And I'm Howard. And I have managed to put off my deep dive until the very, very, very last, but the time is here. You were very determined to go you last. Were, so <laughs> very determined to go last. I have no idea why, but I'm really excited uh, to talk about my work, I guess, but also to, to just give, uh, shine some light on short fiction as a whole. Yes. Uh, I am merely a conduit for the love of short fiction, but um, I want to talk a little bit first about why I picked the three stories that I asked you all to read and then see if you have any questions for me. Otherwise, I'll just ramble about them at length. Um, so the three that I picked are Wolfie Things is the first story that I ever had published. And so I felt it really represented the beginning of the extravaganza uh, when I was really just kind of getting things off the ground. And I was just saying before we started recording that I can tell that it's my first published story because I just can. Something about the way that it's constructed. I'm like, oh, it's earlier on, but I still love it. Uh, I picked Sour Milk Girls because it is my buzziest story, I would say. It's the story that ended up in Year's Best Collections and like almost made the Hugo Ballot. So it's the story that sort of people know me the most for and were most excited about. And then I picked Snake Season because I think it is the closest to where I'm going as a writer. I think it is like sort of the truest. Oh to no! My- <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, it's the truest to my voice of murder. Oh, my yeah. Hell yeah! Let's go. And weirdly, it's also the one that's been translated into the most languages. Um, it's been translated into, I think, Spanish and Portuguese. And anyway, so people can be horrified, I guess, uh, in many different languages. Ha, you said horrified. You were. <laughs> I was. I was saying earlier, we were having this conversation about whether or not Aaron writes horror. And I was like, I think, I think you do. And she does not think she does. But ha ha. It's you all. You brainwash me into thinking it. (laughs) (laughs) I think so much when I write, I think about what I'm writing as just like one individual person's like troubled story Mm -hmm. that I don't see like what they're doing may not be like, I would not use my protagonist as like life lessons. I wouldn't follow in their footsteps. (laughs) Um, If they told you to do something, I would say no. Uh, I often think of my protagonist as the antagonist of somebody else's short story uh, (laughs) that I just decided not to write. Oh, Um, (laughs) yeah. But I I just, even though, you know, that's the case for me, it's really, I think I get so much in their head and have to understand them in order to make them somewhat sympathetic on the page that I can't think of what they're doing or what I'm doing as Mm -hmm. horror because I get why. They did it, and I decided to make them do it, even though it may be something that is beyond the pale in the normal, like, in the normal life of things. I love this as a way of thinking about genre. You know, I think one thing with conversation about genre gets so muddy in a certain way, because there's almost three different ways in which we use the term. One is how I use it, which is very much the book selling side. Where do we put this in the store? What buys that code do we put on this? What gets, what comp titles do we use, right? Like, how do we sell this? And then there's like the way critics use it, which is, I'm not even going to dive too deep into that, but, you know, it tends to be more about what's the cultural lineage of this. 
And then there's like how readers and writers use it, which is much more like what's useful to you, what's important to you, what does it feel like? And so I love this idea that you've separated out so much your process from necessarily what the bookstore genre of it is, because you need to access a space where you can look at it in a way that these are just people doing things. Yes, the things that they're doing are very upsetting, but they are doing things for relatable reasons, right? So, I mean, even Sour Milk Girls, where she does one of the worst things I've ever seen a character do in a story to another character, it's so upsetting, the thing that she does to Princess. But it's so understandable and and relatable, even if I wouldn't make that choice, I can understand why she does it in a way that I think for you, I can see how internally, that's not horror, that's just a person, right? That's a flawed person who lives in a deeply flawed world, trying to survive in whatever ways that she can. And her experience and trauma and psychology all lead her to this place of doing this upsetting thing. And the the context in which, um, in which, you know, Ghost does things to Princess, uh, Ghost is not doing anything to Princess that society has not already done to Ghost. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, in reading that story, there is horrific revelation after horrific revelation. Uh, it, at, at first, it looks like they just live in an orphanage. Uh, no, this is worse than an orphanage. This is something, something's being done to these kids. And, and as we learn more about it, it gets, it, you experience horror. And so in, in talking about genre, I, I always go back to our season 11, you know, elemental genres. Yep. Uh, I keep turning the page because I keep looking for the next horrific reveal. I experience dread, but I'm sort of thrilling, reveling in it. And and it grows so nicely out of that symmetry between what society is doing and what the character is doing, that when we get to the end, it is the perfect horrific inevitability. And and, and so, yes, yeah, circling back around, uh, yes, Aaron, you're writing horror. Are they going to shelve it as horror? I don't care. I just want to read it. Well, something that that I just want to circle back to that you you said that uh, that your antagonist your your protagonist is the antagonist in someone else's story. Great line. It like when I when I think about all of those stories, I'm like, oh yeah. One of the reasons that these work, I think, structurally so well is that you have a character who has set out to achieve a goal. They ex- come up with a plan. They have obstacles. They have all of the, the markers. It's just as a reader, I do not want them to achieve that goal. <laughs> Like and that is and I can see why actually you would make the argument that it's not horror because in horror generally speaking bad things happen to the protagonist and and in this case you're like oh no your your protagonist is absolutely and I can I can see all of the stories that are written from the other character's point of view yeah and and it is and, and like oh yeah no okay I, I i i will grant your point about how these are maybe not horror thank you i think it also comes back to like what intentionality yeah so yes. we were talking about uh just beforehand in the, in all the fascinating conversations we will uh reprise here about that there are three different genres of the body yeah. you know mm-hmm. humor erotica horror they all try to make you feel something at a very visceral level so to me to set out to write horror is to say i want to scare you 
I want you to feel dread. I never intend, that's never a thought that goes through my head. Mm -hmm. I just want my characters to accomplish horrible things, which might make you feel horror. But I'm not thinking at the end, if you said like, I was totally fine with everything they did. And I felt, I was like, I'm cheering them on. I might have some questions about your moral compass, (laughs) but I wouldn't feel like I didn't accomplish my goal as a writer. Whereas I feel like in a horror story, if you say like, I wasn't scared at all. That you've yeah. missed something the yeah. same way that if you didn't laugh in humor. Last I night we joked that. during the D&D, you know, we joked about you being, you know, chaotic evil or what. And this is more like uh, chaotic uh, IDGAF, you know, <laughs> uh, chaotic, chaotic WTF. I'm yeah. just, I'm doing a thing and you're going to have an experience, but that's not what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I'm thinking about the thing. I will say, I will grant you what you're saying on Wolfy Thing and Sour Milk Girls. I will say I made the mistake of reading Snake Season right before oh, I went to bed. Yes. And bad choices. I was upset. The the image of Sarah, the image of the daughter is just so upsetting to me. It's so emotional too, though. I mean, what 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 drives speculative fiction in short form so well is is the power of the metaphor, right? And one of the reasons I love short fiction is it's so clear and simple about what the metaphor is, right? And Sour Milk Girls, it's the state is robbing them of their identity and memories because that's kind of what the foster system is is invested mm-hmm. in doing is erasing who you were to be this person that can be entered into new situations, right? And so just this mother's trauma over her dead daughter, over this monstrousness that she's afraid of in herself. And and I I don't know how to unpack all the things in that because it's so rich and textured and dense. Like, that's the beauty of that image. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm very scared of that little girl. She's definitely haunting me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and I think that one of the things that also happened for me as we got deeper into the story was wondering how much of Sarah's appearance was actually just the just Marie's view of her? Mm-hmm. Like, was this just a normal little girl who who just wasn't a baby anymore? And 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 that that's something that she couldn't stand. And and like the the fact that I don't know and and there's just enough ambiguity in there. I mean I feel like she's it it is she is horrifying and also what if she's not yeah exactly because junior seems like maybe he's fine yeah Mm. and on that disturbing note uh we're going to take a slight break when we come back i have a question to ask you all hmm Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. My thing of the week this week is Never Have I Ever by Isabel Yap. Uh, In my personal opinion, I think Isabel Yap is one of the greatest science fiction short story writers we have in the game right now. She's an incredible talent, and this is her debut collection of stories. It came out a couple years ago in 2021 from Small Beer Press, and uh, the work that she does in here is so wide-ranging and delightful and engaging she pulls from uh, her Filipino uh, ancestry and, and bringing in some traditional uh, myths and monsters in the story. And the way she blends 
fabulism and horror and supernatural elements with grounded, relatable concerns of contemporary characters is incredibly powerful and wonderful. I think this is a phenomenal collection, and I would love for all of you to go check it out. We're back, and my question is ready, which is, who do you see as the antagonist of these stories? Because I've been thinking about it, and I actually think there's a slight shift in the antagonists and who I see as the antagonist of all three stories that I think makes Snake Season feel the most horrific. But I'm curious. Uh, Wolfie, the antagonist, is uh, Aaron. Uh, Sour Milk Girls, it's Aaron. <laughs> uh, snake Season, uh, it's Aaron like three times. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm upset at you. In <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I correct mean, statements. For, I'm not sure who the antagonist of Wolfie Things is, actually, and that's kind of an interesting one. Um, mm-hmm. It feels much more like portraiture than really like a strong, like this intense metaphor about society in a certain way. Um, Sour Milk Girls is definitely the state. And then for Snake Season, it it's almost just like the the world, you know? Like there's a, she just exists in a world that is stacked against everyone in the story in a certain way. Like, she's she has decided that the Conjure Man is the antagonist. Like, from I think from her point of view, from Marie's point of view, yeah. the Conjure Man is the antagonist. Yes. But I don't think that he actually... He, I don't stru- think he's a good dude, though. I don't think he's a good dude. But structurally speaking, like, he, he does serve the function yeah. of an antagonist. Yes. There is, she has there a goal, are horror stories in which... There are horror, horror stories in which our protagonist is up against an antagonist and loses and horror happens. Yeah. Just in general. Um, in these stories, I think, in, in all three of them, our protagonist is the horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The protagonist is the one who is ultimately doing the things that we are the most horrified yeah. with. And so the antagonist is the one who is trying to prevent bad things from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just in broad structural strokes. Totally. There is, there is, that is a flavor of horror in which uh, we, are, we are sympathetic with, we are following mm-hmm. a character who is on a path, their goals are going to lead them into the horrible place. And the antagonist is the one who is putting obstacles in front of them. Yeah. And the antagonist is going to fail. There's no Freddy. There's no Candyman. There's no, no yeah. The Thing. There's you no, know so, what I mean? so you stop yeah. thinking of antagonist as villain and start thinking of them as the person who's in between the protagonist and their ultimate goal. Well, this is why I think it's so useful in certain cases to really let go of genre expectations mm-hmm. and not think of it as a genre piece in certain ways and just follow the story where it goes, right? Tonally and voice-wise, I'm going to look at this and say horror. I think... It, Howard's right, when, and you're right, when I break it down to the core elements of the story, horrific things are happening. I think you're right, though, that it's not a horror story. Yeah. and ah! <laughs> <laughs> You um, convinced me. Yes. Well, and, and I also want to say that I don't think that every story has to have an antagonist. Yes. And in, 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 I think Wolfie things, um, I've forgotten the main character's name. Um, I remember Lee's name, but I don't remember our POV character's name. Nikki. Nikki, Nikki. Nikki. Um, I think Nikki is the protagonist and the antagonist. I think he is both. I think what I would say um, is that for me, or what I think I was trying to do, and it's interesting to go back and see whether or not I think that it worked. um, For me, I think 
society, culture, the world as it is, is the antagonist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot, I think that all three of these stories, to a degree, are my kind of uh, thinking about ruminating on the idea that the master's tools can never dismantle the master's Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, ultimately the reason the society is the antagonist is that the protagonist is monstrous, but they are only monstrous because they are in a world that creates monsters. And therefore, in them trying to figure out the world and where they fit into it, they start with good intentions, but they ultimately are kind of, in like the classic tragedy sense, unable to escape who they are and how they've been made and what has created them. And I think that snake season is the place where that is the least clear. Yeah. Like the culture is like much more like, hopefully like the culture of the town and their hatred of wolves is pretty clear. And the state's direct like manipulation Mm -hmm. of these poor girls is pretty clear. But in snake season, it's a lot less like it's just kind of the world in less of a directly antagonistic way Mm -hmm. um, and more just like, how do you fit into the world as Mm -hmm. it is? But it's also like in snake season, at least to me, it was it was about how she only felt like she was supported after a child had died. Yeah. It's the only time people came out in a sympathetic way for her. Yeah. And, you know, instead she had the conjure man who's like bossing around her husband who's not there. Yeah, and 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 she's alone. She's alone with a child that she's trying to to raise by herself while her husband goes off and works. And the only way she gets people to come out is if a child dies. Mm-hmm. And I'm, she's not conscious of that. I don't no. think. Um, not like, or she's that is the lie she is telling herself. Yeah, she's not like yeah. waking up and journaling. Like, yes, no one has visited me for months. Time to kill a baby. <laughs> time to kill time a baby. baby. Like that's yeah. that would be horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, because you can't say that to yourself. Yeah, and yeah. so you you create a world in which that is what's happening yeah. for you mm-hmm. so that you can get the emotional joy or not the, the emotional comfort that you want. As we explore these, these structural interpretations, I love doing this. I could do this, you know, all day. Um, it's important to recognize that a large part of this comes from us within, you know, what we bring to the table, what our reading experience was. When I read Wolfie, um, I at first thought the wolf was the antagonist. After reading it, I feel like Lee is the antagonist because there was a moment when I was reading when I felt like, oh, Nikki's objective has changed. Mm-hmm. Nikki wants to talk to the wolf, meet the yep. wolf, learn who the wolf is, and Lee prevents that from happening. And when Lee prevents that from happening— by falling on his own knife. Lee, you klutz. Um, Nikki's goals change and he follows through with the original plan. And But that is that is an interpretation which, okay, in critical senses, maybe it's wildly invalid, but based on what I brought into the book, that's the experience that I had. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I love about short fiction in general is that it's so tight that we have all of these experiences so close together within, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of starting mm-hmm. the story. And it's easier to unpack, easier to talk about. Uh, and I talk about it for way longer than I would on a 300,000-page. Yeah. I would love to to touch on this, actually. You know, each of these stories implies a 
a massive world, right? World building, technology, magic, societal stuff. The amount that you get into, you know, 6,000 words in terms of gesturing at a bigger world is truly extraordinary and breathtaking. Um, But also, I I think especially Sour Milk Girls could sustain a novel-length work, right, with (laughs) what you have there. I could see something bigger possible in that space if Mm -hmm. you want it. But that's not what you wanted. You love short fiction. You like writing short fiction. You really believe in it, as do I. I adore it. Um, But I'm curious to hear more about your thought process about why short fiction? Why is that how you wanted these stories to unfold? Um, And why do you like working in that space? So this is a great question, specifically for Sour Milk Girls, because of its origin story. So I actually wanted to, and maybe still do, uh, want to write a novel about five different women whose lives have been screwed up by this memory memory as a commodity system. Um, And Ghost was going to be like sort of the protagonist through which this larger thing happened much later in her life. Um, Not much later, but like in her 20s. And I was trying to get her voice. So for me as a writer, if I cannot hook into the voice of the character, I cannot write the story, Mm. which is one of the reasons I'm an extraordinarily slow writer because I will rewrite the first paragraph and the first page Mm -hmm. over and over and over until the character sounds right to me in my head and I have some sort of instinctive sense of how they see the world and then I can move forward. And then it gets much easier, but that process can take long time. Um, And so I could not hook into the voice of Ghost. I was kept trying and I kept writing these horrible things I didn't like. And so I was like, maybe I need to go back and do a writing exercise for myself of some pivotal moment in her life early on (laughs) that turns her into the person that she was um, at the time that uh, the novel that I was writing, which is kind of a a compulsive kleptomaniac, a compulsive memory kleptomaniac. Why become a compulsive memory kleptomaniac? (laughs) And I was trying to figure out what is the thing? Like, what? where did she start going down this path? And so I wrote... I started writing this writing exercise and I was like, oh, this writing exercise feels a bit like a story, actually. Let me finish it. And then I did. And then I was like, I think I could publish this. And so it's sort of an accidental story that mm-hmm. comes out of me love trying to understand the novel form because I don't get it. I have this theory that I've <laughs> told people before that there should be a like a Myers-Briggs of writers where, <laughs> you know, when as far as like introvert, extrovert, I think some people tend long and some people tend short as writers and I tend short. I think I tend to just the way that my sentences are constructed. A lot of times I try to jam a lot in there Mm -hmm. in a way that won't, wouldn't work. It'd be a lot for like a longer work. You'd Mm -hmm. need to kind of stretch things out and, and dole them out differently. And so I, when I try to write longer works, I often end up coming up with ideas that I then break off into shorter things because Mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand and trying Mm -hmm. to get to a place where I could write. Um, a novel. Um, I also, yeah, I think like it is a lot of it's about natural tendencies and my own speed because I'm slow writing a short story is a much easier kind of thing for me to set out to do. But I think even I'm the opposite. We're going to talk later in this deep dive about what happens when all your short stories, people are like, that should be a novel, Uh, which happens a lot to my students. Like they'll be like writing this short story. And I'm like, this is not a short story. This is a prologue. Yeah. Yeah. And I have the opposite where even when I come up with novel ideas, they sort of come out in short story form Mm -hmm. because I think I'm so focused on one character. I think part of it is that I get so into the idea of the single character that you need a broader cast a lot of times in order to make a novel work. And I want to be so much in this one person's head that it's hard to think about taking them on such a long journey 
It's like, funny, you and I were chatting before recording and you were just talking about like an idea that you had. And I was like, oh, that actually sounds like a short story, <laughs> not a novel. I think you would need to do X, Y, and Z to make it more novel sized. And so it was really funny to hear you say that. Yeah, I, I'm like, I want to sidebar with you uh, and talk to you about how to fix that because... Oh, cool. <laughs> um, because I... I uh, Please you, because she needs to write the novel. She's she, yes, yes I know. I'm like, I would like to, but, but yeah, uh, it's it, it's that you you you're right. You you are so um, because I also went from short story to novel, and so I know um, I know the the thing that happens. But I'm pretty sure we can talk about that at some point later in the deep dive. Right now, we should probably pause for homework. Yes. And the homework assignment is take a line that you've written a while ago that you absolutely love and try rewriting it as the writer that you are now because your style changes, your understanding of how language changes, your interaction with it changes, your taste changes. Take that original line, read it once, put it to the side, and then rewrite as you are now. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Would you like to help other writers be out of excuses? Review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Rate us five stars and help someone like you find us. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr, Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 